Today on the podcast, get an inside look at a day in the life of executive pastor and ECFA board member, Danny DeArmas. Informing, encouraging, and supporting your church. You're listening to the Excellence in Church Administration podcast from ECFA. Hello, this is Michael Martin at ECFA, and welcome again to another Excellence in Church Administration or Excellence in Ministry podcast. Speaking of which, did you know that over the past few years here at ECFA, we have had two different podcasts, one for churches and one for ministries? Well, one of the things that we have found is that many of the topics actually overlap between these two podcasts, and many ministry leaders are leaders in their own local church body as well. So to give you the inside scoop, we wanted to let you know here that in the coming months, ECFA is launching a new combined podcast with topics and interviews, uh, really of all of our members that I know you'll appreciate and learn from. So keep an eye or ear out as we roll this out in the near future. Well, for today, our Vice President of Research and Equipping, Dr. Warren Bird, sits down with Danny DeArmas, Executive Pastor at First Baptist Church of Orlando. Danny is a friend of ECFA. He also just finished six years of faithful service on the ECFA board, including this past year as the ECFA board chair. So in today's conversation, you'll hear Warren and Danny discussing really the inspirations and also the challenges of both of these important roles that Danny has had. It is a fascinating conversation. I know you'll enjoy it. So let's dive in now into this conversation with Dr. Warren Bird and Danny DeArmas. You are one incredibly busy man. Tell us about your world as an executive pastor here at First Baptist Orlando. Well, Warren, my um, energy is usually spent um, in meetings, sitting with people, strategizing about the decisions we need to make or the changes we need to make and how we handle uh, moving people from disconnected to fully connected um, in, in the church. And so, I'm, you know, I manage employees a lot. There's a lot of that that goes on, but mostly it's refereeing between good ideas and trying to decide, okay, which way are we gonna go? Um, and, I, you know, the joy for me, Warren, I'm serving in the church where I was raised. And not a week goes by that I'm not amazed that they're willing to have me here. This is, I'm having the time of my life. They, nobody could have it better than me. Isn't because, that a joy? And in that serving, what do they think you do? What are the three main buckets or responsibilities that you have? Well, I... Um, I mean, what they think I do, I'm not sure. What I spend most of my time doing, uh, you know, David and I have a, a really healthy, our senior, David I'm sorry, Youth. David Youth, our senior pastor, uh, he, he and I have a great uh, tandem style of leadership. He is the primary leader and the, the primary voice, preaches most weekends. Um, but he and I have two very different ways of leading and approaches to um, ministry and and so he's like a, a big mercy guy. His primary gifting is mercy and sympathetic towards people. Me, not so much. Uh, I can be compassionate, but I test first and I'm skeptical and those kind of things. And and yet we end up at the same place. We just come at it from different perspectives. 
Uh, David is a very generous leader in that he's not threatened by um, leadership around him. We want strong leaders around us, and David models that, and he's not afraid to you know, give me platform and let me say it my way. Uh, and, and, but that's actually something that provides a lot of momentum uh, for the church. So how often do the two of you interact? Let's make it into two categories. One is a formal meeting, and the other would be the hallway passings where you, hey, need to run something by you. So formal would be twice a week. And one of those is usually a two-hour meeting. The other one's about a 30-minute meeting. It's a check-in kind of thing towards the end of the week. Um, Our offices are side-by-side. We share administrative staff, the assistants that we have. And so um, there is interaction that's just constant. Uh, you know, sometimes he has somebody meeting with him and he wants me to meet them. And so he'll walk them over to my office or it could be the opposite. I'm meeting with somebody and say, you know what? I really want David to meet you. Come, come with me. Let me introduce you to David. And so we have that mutual arrangement. And then also, if, you know, more likely there's a crisis happening, something that I need a quick decision on, uh, or I need to alert him to, um, before we make a decision so it doesn't catch him by surprise. Hey, David, this is what's going on. And here's how we're going to move through this. And, um, or how do you think we should move through this? Um, and those just happen, you know, as can happen. Uh, but it's interesting, Warren, we have very few of those kind of decisions that are happened by phone. Somebody asked me about that recently. How often do we, we do not communicate often about church business or um, decisions by phone. Almost all of it is in person. Face to face, and by and, phone you're including texting. Yes, now, so we we will text in order to get to the same. Um, right? Can to, you come over? Right. Let's let's. Can we talk about this in the morning? Can you? What time are you coming in tomorrow? Can we visit about this? But, it, and I don't know that either of us have been strategic about that. Is that's where our comfort is, mm-hmm. and there seems to be when we communicate either by talking on the phone or texting uh, that there's a lot of opportunities for misunderstanding. And we rarely have misunderstanding if we're sitting in front of each other, talking to each other face to face. And how many direct reports does he have? And then I'll ask you the same, but first to context at ballpark, worship attendance here. We run about 8,000. I think we're typical of other churches our size that we think that means that there's somewhere around 15,000 people who call this their church home and come on what they call a regular basis. Uh, I did a research thing for that for Leadership Network a couple of years ago, and I asked what your monthly nose is in the building, and you take your weekly and multiply it by 1.6, so that's just about what you came up with. And my guess is it's, depending how long ago you did that, that number is, is that 1.6 is getting higher. The the infrequency of people's attendance, which then makes your job more challenging because... You know, we, we rolled this thing out last week to communicate to everybody, but everybody wasn't there. Now, what do we do about the people who miss? Yeah. And yet we don't want to repeat it, actually, for the next week. For people. the core. Yes. Right. So we say we're preaching to a parade. Yeah. It's a parade of people walking by. How do we get something that they need to hear? So we run about 8,000. We've got just a little over 100 uh, full-time equivalent employees. If you count the the solid part-timers that are working 28 hours a week or 22 hours a week or something like that that feel like a part of the staff. We're probably in the 140 range in terms of people that are here. Um, I have, you asked about David first. I'm the only person that directly reports to David. 
Um, we changed that about five years ago, and and then uh, and have you been successful? Not only that, that's the a uh, book structure, but that people actually think that they don't yes. report to him. Yes, but there's a nuance to it. Okay. Let me explain. So I, um, when you ask how many report, there's four positions. We actually have some vacancy right now. So I have two that are there right now, but the structure is for four um, people reporting directly to me. The nuance is this, Warren. Uh, I include David in two of the meetings uh, our executive directors, which is the ones who report to me, and our managing directors, which I think is 14 people, that those managing directors include the executive directors uh, and me, that team, there are portions of both of those meetings that David steps into. So there's some of it that's minutia, that it's not where he needs to be spending his energy and effort, but some of it's not minutia. And we want his input, and it helps him to hear the conversation and hear the genesis of how we're getting to the places that we're getting to. So he has context to things. So he provides good input in those settings, and he hears good input in those settings. So the way they'll go, I always end with David's portion of the meeting. Uh, and so, and I don't run either of those two meetings, by the way. I delegate the actual agenda and running of the meeting That's to two different people okay so that are on the executive team and we've kind of move it around a little bit between different participants that by the way is a really good team building leadership development well, tactic I'm, I'm glad i get credit for that but it's really a coping mechanism for me <laughs> or a compensation for me because that's really not my gift and so i say you know what this i'm a bottleneck to progress if that's me so I don't want to be a bottleneck to progress. So let's find somebody who can do this and I'm going to delegate it. And there is a, you know, there's a review process. Oftentimes if something's on the agenda that somebody's asked to be there and the, the, whoever's setting the agenda is not sure that I want to talk about that. Although when David's not in the meeting, uh, anything can be brought up as long as it's not dominating time. It's more of a time management issue than it is what topics are we going to talk about. What we do in the first part of the meeting is we're making the agenda the things I want to make sure that get David's input or that David hears about. And so we'll be talking about the, hey, make sure we're talking about that when David gets in here. Hey, make sure we talk about that. Or let's pause this. I don't want to go any further. I need input from David before we take any more steps on that because this is something that requires the senior pastor to have a voice into. And so we pause. Again, David and I so know each other and operate together that 98% of the time, I don't. I know what he's thinking. I know again, he knows how I'm thinking and we don't have to I don't have to have him in there but most of the time it's for him to hear the discussion there's something healthy about that to hear all the different factors instead of just the decision right it helps give oh yeah we did consider that we did consider that that was an option and then you go okay now I can see why we came up with this solution the way we did cuz we're usually picking between either a lot of good options or a lot of bad options it's not just a good and bad. That's the hard part of the, the task. This is great. Question from a different angle. How do you get better at what you do? Uh, are there books? Is there a mentor that you've intentionally sought out? Uh, yeah, so I have to answer that on two fronts. The one is my personal spiritual development, which I think is the most important thing for me. Uh, not I think, I know is the most important thing for me. Um, and that, I'm in a small group myself, 
that are not, it's not made up of pastors and pastor types. It's made up of friends here in the church. Um, and I do life with them and they challenge me and they, uh, they know my faults and love me anyway. They know me up close and personal. Uh, and so that's a real important part of my journey. And we do different book studies. Um, I mean, like different pe- books that people have written. That's our favorite thing to do. You read some chapters of this book, and then and we always want some that have some good biblical um, basis to them. But uh, but you know we have some variety in there as well. Uh, so that's uh, being in a small group. And then I'd like to read. I'm I'm, I'm not what I would call a high volume reader. I read slower and more meticulously, but I'm always reading something. I also listen to a lot of, I call reading listening as well. So I'm in my car, almost always have um, someone I'm listening to a book I'm listening to as opposed to music most of the time. Um, and so I consume a lot of uh, literature that way. That's again, I, some that I consume is just because I have interest in, I like like Malcolm Gladwell and sociolo- sociological phenomenons and things like that, I really like am interested by. But uh, but for my own spiritual um, development, uh, I'm always doing that. On the leadership side, uh, I, not purposefully one, but just looking back at what has happened to me, um, I lean towards uh, business leaders here in our community that I know and how they have led well in their own settings and I populate my personnel team with people like that and then I have them as friends and I lean on them uh, to give me counsel and that sounds really good but the challenging part about that is that really strong leaders in the business environment they don't hold any punches back and they they see me doing something they think is poor leadership in my setting, they just have no tolerance for, well, you got to, you know, they just... They, Sounds like just, Jethro in Exodus 18. Yes. Son-in-law, yes. what you're doing yes. is not good. That's exactly right. And they give me no slack. They're right in my face. I, I know them well, and they they are harsh. Now, I can take it, but I, I don't go to them because I'm looking for compliments. Uh, I go to them because I want to get better. And they're quick to, It's they're not critics of mine. These are supporters, but these are really good leaders who have run successful businesses or managed successful sections of businesses. And I watch the way they lead and the success that they're having in their leadership. It's not positional leadership that they have. They Most of the time, the people I gravitate to are people that have built something from nothing, right? And I want to see how it is that they did that and how they kept vision going or I've have one guy that has a construction company and the people that work for him are so loyal to him and it can't be money because there's no way he could be making money to pay them enough to be as loyal as there. There's something outside of there. There's something else that, and so I, that kind of stuff intrigues me. I want to get next to him and find out how do you do this? What is it? And, and so those are the ones that inspire me the most. I, I, and I read, a lot of Christian leadership books, that's not where my primary source of inspiration comes from. On the on my personal spiritual development it is, of course. Um, awesome. But, but I really I really go after the leaders here in our city that I know and I've seen them lead well. And and I ask them. I give them opportunity to challenge me. And I bet they love stepping up to it. They do. Very helpful. Uh, First Baptist became affiliated, accredited, 
with the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Why did you go through membership? Um, well, I first heard about ECFA through our auditors. Mike Batts and his company um, were our auditors when I came here in 2008. I had known Mike. And Mike served on our board for right. many years, some and, years as chairman. And Mike has been in Orlando. I've known him since we were both a lot younger. I've seen his journey in the nonprofit CF, uh, CPA world. And that uh, relationship I had with him was a trusted relationship. And one day uh, we were having lunch and talking about our audit and all that kind of stuff. And he just uh, explained to me what ECFA was and and what the benefits were of being a member. And Warren, I don't remember the exact count. I probably need, because I get to ask this question often, I need to go research it. But there were not a whole lot of churches that were members at the time that Mike talked to me about it. That's right. Our fastest growing uh, area is churches is, today, is but churches. It, it yeah. wasn't then. And and so when he talked to me about it, he was almost kind of like he thinks it's going to be helpful to churches as momentum picks up. And, and, and you know, that was kind of the, the way he articulated that. But what I wanted, my desire, uh, you know, when I stepped into this role, this is the church where I was raised in. I love this place. I love the people. And I want us to be excellent at everything that we do. So I want us to be one of the top places to work in Central Florida. I want us to be customer service driven, that people who come here, they go, well, I don't believe what they believe and I don't want to go to a church there, but man, that's a great group of people. I love attending there, even if I don't believe like them. I want to have that kind of environment here. I want people to see our campus and go, wow, they take care of their campus. They've got a good camp, everything. I want it to be stellar. I want to be an example. And so this was a place for me to be able to say, hey, you know what? To our people and to the outside world, I want them to know that we subscribe to the highest standards available when it comes to governance, finances, and transparency. And we let others tell us what that means, and we subscribe to it. Because an outside agency is telling us this is the highest standard, and then we're going to meet and exceed that standard. And so for me, it was just a natural thing. It kind of aligned with what my vision was for us. And um, I went to David at the time and said, hey, this is, you know, it has a cost to it. It costs money, but I think it's worth it. And and I think it'll be important for us to have. And he was fully supportive of it, no pushback on it at all. And so we became members. And Again, there were I don't remember the number, but there were not a lot of churches at the time. And I'm thrilled to say there are a lot more churches today. Um, so it, it's been a great journey. And it's, you know, there have been two or three seasons here where it would have been easy for our credibility to be questioned by our members and by those outside of our membership who can see us in the city here. Um, and having that seal uh, has kept me from having to defend ourselves because it demonstrated that we subscribe to it. You can't protect everything. There's some mistakes that are going to happen, but at least we subscribe to the highest standards. Wow. Thank you. Well, you not only became a member of uh, First Baptist of ECFA, but you are right now chairman of the board. I am. Now, our 11 board members are listed on the ECFA website. Uh, when you gather for an ECFA board meeting, what kinds of things do you do? What's what's the most fulfilling for you? And kind of, can you give people an inside peek as to what what's the role of the board? So the 
I mean, like any organization, the role of the board is uh, oversight, policy, and strategy. That's where we get involved. We don't get involved in the day-to-day management. We we don't take deep dives into how the office is structured and who's officing where and how what are the next hires. We don't do that. It's strategy, oversight, and policy. That's what we focus on. Uh, what that means to us, if you take the time we spend at a board meeting, the board meeting would last very short if all we were doing is talking about strategy. Uh, because it's not complicated and we would hear quick reports from everybody and all that. The things that that require us to deliberate for a long time is the hardest decisions that we make, and that's membership decisions. The hardest role that the board has is, is for us to suspend or terminate memberships. It's also the most important job of ECFA. If ECFA does not suspend or terminate any memberships, the seal doesn't isn't valid. It has no value. The validity and value comes in in the demonstration that you can lose this seal and you can lose the freedom or the opportunity to to ha- to display this seal. That's what gives the seal value. But it's the hardest thing because we want, we're not out to destroy the kingdom. We're out to increase and enhance trust, right? Uh, and so sometimes you feel, as a board member, you feel somewhat conflicted. You don't want to hurt the kingdom, but this ministry is not subscribing to the standards that are necessary for them to have the seal. And, you, and you know, does the chicken or the egg come first? If we take away somebody's or suspend somebody's membership, it could affect their ability to raise money, which affects their ability to stay viable. And so ECFA doesn't want to keep ministries from existing or to, to make them go broke, right? We don't want to do that. At the same time, we don't want people to give to a ministry that's not subscribing to the highest standards and using the money inappropriately in some way or perhaps doing that. And so where we spend a lot of time, Warren, is having those discussions and reviewing the notes of the staff meetings and the staff visits that they've had the conversation that staff has had with the organization, what has been their response, how many times have we done this, what kind of time has happened. And uh, as it is in church world, it very seldom is it black and white. Uh, and we we give our members the benefit of the doubt and believe in them because they're doing gospel work. And and so it, we, we arrive to the conversation uh, our members having the benefit of the doubt. And so when we suspend or terminate membership, it's a very, very hard uh, decision that we make. And, and and yet it must be very fulfilling in those cases when someone says, you're right, you blew it, right. uh, but we want to get integrity right. That's so right. we'll be back. Right. Uh, and they, they go and they do their homework. Right. And they come and they reapply. They have to go through the whole process. Right. If they've been terminated, they do. If some have been suspended. They just have to address the areas that we noted in the suspension, and then the suspension can be lifted. And most of the time, I don't know the exact number, but most of the time when we've had to terminate or suspend, the the ministry has stayed engaged with ECFA and has made the efforts that they needed to make to, to re-engage. Thank you. That is a fascinating look under the hood, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that transparency and, yep. and insight. Let me land our interview with uh, giving you kind of a soapbox for an excellence tip. Uh, you've, you were drawn to ECFA because of wanting to do excellence 
well. Uh, you've gotten to work through the board. If there's any one uh, area that you say, you know, here's what churches, ministries could do to up their bar for excellence, I'd love to encourage them to... Well, Warren, that's a hard um, question to answer. I think in my world, it goes back to very similar to what I said earlier, but um, it's it's finding ways to fully engage the resources of people that God have put around us. Um, the greatest joy I've had in ministry here, probably second to baptizing people, there's nothing in my culture that um, is more rewarding than that. That's payday for us as baptisms. But just on the on the day-to-day ministry side is when I have a businessman or woman or a mom or dad that's that we find a way to fully engage them in ministry here. And they use the expertise that they have away from church, whether that's uh, parenting uh, and raising kids skills, or that's running a multi-billion dollar industry or hospital or whatever it is. And we give them the opportunities to serve here. Uh, it It is so much fun to see um, men and women who love Jesus first, but are involved in business endeavors all over the place, you know, doing their jobs to be able to deploy those skills in a ministry setting. And, and I've just had them over and over again come to me and say, you know, you recruited me for this opportunity. And when you told me about it, I just didn't think that you were going to give me the freedom to actually do the work. I thought you were going to just put me there as a placeholder. And we don't do that here. I release them and I tell them often, I'm not bringing you here so you can work for me. I'm bringing you here so I can work for you. You're the expert. Now we work for you. Tell us what we need to do. You know, the Protestant Reformation happened 400 years ago, but as you're talking, I'm thinking Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, the equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. It seems like we've just begun. And your excellence tip is, hey, you can go a lot farther in that direction. Because I can't employ enough. I don't have enough resources to employ enough people to do the work that needs to be done. And by the way, like we got a big construction project going on right now the team that's leading that, the team that's interacting with the construction company is not staff. It's lay people in our church. And they're in charge. And But it's what they do for a living. And they know what they're doing. And we will, and they get to do it for Jesus. That's exactly right. And we will finish a day early and a dollar under budget because I know the people working on it. And that's the way they do their own projects. And they're using all of that passion and energy for the sake of Jesus. And when it's all over, they're going to sit in my office and they're going to say, thank you, thank you, thank you for letting me do this and letting me use my gifts um, in in the kingdom for something that matters way more than what I'm doing Monday through Friday. And by the way, they're doing ours Monday through Friday too. They don't separate. It's all part of their, they just added this to the list of stuff that they're doing. And for me, we are way better because we're using the horsepower that God's put around us. If I was using staff to this, man, let me tell you something. Pastors don't know how to build buildings. The problem is we think we know how to do everything. And so I don't know how to do everything. There's, In fact, most things I don't know how to do, but I'm aware enough to say, where do I find the people who can help me do this? And I just, again, I blame it on that I'm at the best church ever at First Baptist Orlando. We have horsepower here. If I just keep looking long enough, I can find somebody with the gifts and talents to deploy them where we have need and put them to work. 
And it's just so much fun. It's so much more fun than my paid staff. And I love our paid staff too. But when you start deploying um, servants into the work here, it is, it's hard. It's not easy. But it's so gratifying and so wonderful. Well, as Home Depot used to say, you can do it. That's exactly right. And we, we can, can help. Versus the opposite. That is exactly right, Warren. And that's the way we try to approach it. Danny DeArmas. Thank you so much for this time. This has been great. Thank you. 